0: Sports Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's
1: Terry. Good morning, everybody. Looking out the window of my studio, I uh, see the sun shining now. Might have a little rainy weather yet today, the weatherman says, but then we're going to get... Some dry, warm days, and actually some midsummer temperatures in the 80s and 90s. So this will change things again, but slowly, because we've had a lot of cool water. We've got a lot of lakes that are full. And as much as we need moisture in Colorado all the time, the next person that tells me when it's raining we can always use the moisture, I think I'm going to smack them. Now, in all honesty, it's been quite a summer. uh, But things look like they might start to stabilize. Uh, But the fishing through all this has been good, and we're going to start talking more hunting as we get into the second half of summer here, because you need to be getting ready now. You know, the mantra on this show is don't get ready to go hunting, stay ready, whether that's your equipment, your practice time, your scouting, so we'll be talking about that. And Parks and Wildlife are going to talk to us about some opportunities for you to get out and express what you would like to see for the sportsmen's out there. We have all that coming up. Right now, let's go to the phones. Joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Chris Steinbeck. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing well. And, you know, it's not unusual for us to have runoff through June when we get a major snowpack like we did. But some of the levels of runoff have been pretty unique with the amount of rain we've gotten. I think there's still some runoff to come. But I'm, what I'm hearing, and you can let me know what
0: you're seeing, maybe things are starting to settle down a little. I uh, I've been seeing that. You know, it's been it's been such a goofy year, and I, your intro made me laugh because it is. I told myself I'm not going to complain on the rain this year. We love it. We need it. I am over it. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, you know, up high, up on the South Platte, we're starting to see. Um, You know, we're we're still a little snow up there, but it's starting to subside a little bit. We're seeing the flow start to come down. Um, Our reservoirs are so filled right now, so we're sitting in such a good shape. It's just with how cold and wet and rainy it was this spring and early summer, it was just like it wasn't a traditional runoff. Um, And as you just mentioned, it's been kind of just been goofy. Um, But we're starting to get into better flows, and, and we have such a great outlook for the next few months ahead of us here. Well, you know, a couple things are going to play into the flows over the next few weeks. One is
1: the snow obviously is dwindling. There's less to come down. But the reservoirs are getting very full. So they're not going to be able to hold a lot of that water back anymore. They're going to have to let it come through. And then even once the snow melts, you and I both know that the farmers start making calls for water, all of a sudden they're going to have to release some of that. So it's still going to be kind of a... A hard year. I think you're going to have to check the conditions
0: on a constant basis. We will. We will be checking them daily. Um, It's really important to keep your tabs on that just to see if the flows have come up on the river you want to fish or come down. That will impact the flies you want to throw. Um, But it is. And it's, you know, on the South Platte River especially, all those reservoirs now are completely filled except for Spinney. And Spinney is just about there now. So now as we get the incoming flows into the reservoirs, the outflows are going to mens- uh, match it, kind of like you were saying. And and I think we're going to see some strong flows for the next month, six weeks plus. Um, for us on the river, it's a good thing because the last couple of years, we've been dealing with hot water in July and August, and it's made a lot of rivers unfishable. And I don't think we're going to come across that too many times this summer.
1: Yeah, I think it's the health of the fishery and the availability to fishy streams without impacting the fishery is going to be one of the best years we've had in a long, long time. That's a great point. We shouldn't get a lot of stream and river closures because of hot water, and the the health of the fish should just be good, and that should do well for growth, for reproduction. So what are you seeing out there? Take us through some of the uh, areas and how they're fishing.
0: Yeah, you bet. So uh, because everything's been so goofy lately, we've been fishing a lot on the South Platte River, We've been fishing up at Cheeseman Canyon and down at Decker's, and Decker's especially. I know that there's a, quite a few people fishing down there, but the fishing's really strong right now. Um, the The bug life's really good. The fishing's, it's beautiful up there. The flows are good. The water's clear again. So, um, yeah, a lot of good things happening on the South Platte. Um, the Dream Stream we've been backing off um, as of the last few weeks just because the flows, they've had it lower as they're trying to fill Spinney up and finish filling it up. Um, but yesterday they increased another fifty c f s out of the dam of Spinney and that's going to keep coming up so the dream stream, as we start getting more flows is going to be a great option for people um and then the bigger freestone rivers like the Arkansas and the Colorado they're still high, but they're coming down Our float trips, like usually we don't float the Colorado River below kremlin if it's over three thousand cubic feet per second, and it just got underneath that this week, so We're going to start running our float trips again. Um, The early word on the Colorado River has been fishing really strong. There's really good hatches of PMDs and yellow sallies. Um, Great options there. For those who don't want to drive that far, Clear Creek is becoming a good option now. Um, Clear Creek was really high. That's really susceptible when we get these rainstorms to kind of blow out and get muddy. But we get a few of these nice days in a row, and Clear Creek drops down and becomes a fantastic option if you don't want to drive too far.
1: You know, Clear Creek it, it, and Bear Creek too are two rivers. And of course, the Platte goes right through Denver too, but it's a little different animal when it goes through Denver. But they're they're pretty. They can be pretty good fishing. But they they come into town. They get some pressure. They're close. Do you have to change your tactics at all compared to other rivers when you fish? rivers like Clear Creek that are coming right into the metro, or is it really just dependent on the conditions just like everywhere else?
0: It's mainly conditions, um, you know, on how much water's coming down. There's times where you'll get a few people fishing, and especially as you make your way down closer to Golden, down the bottom of the canyon in Clear Creek, Um, the higher up you go, you'll still see people fishing, but the beauty of Clear Creek is such a great dry fly river. And so now as the river starts coming down, the dry fly fishing is going to get really good. And Clear Creek is a fantastic option for those that you get off of work at three, four five o'clock. You have a couple hours to kill in the evening. The caddis hatches you're going to start seeing on Clear Creek are really good, which makes that last couple hours of light, really prolific fishing on Clear Creek, uh, throughout the day, early day, you're going to see some floating, some, you know, whitewater boats going down the river. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's tremendously fun. Little elk caddis, pheasant tails are really good on that river. Little gray RS twos are always good on Clear Creek. Um, yeah, so we have a lot of options is Clear, here. Is Clear Creek mostly rainbows, or you get some browns? Is it a mix? It's a good mix. It's a really good mix. You get some really quality rainbows, um, especially um, as you make your way up the canyon a little bit closer to like where the turnoff is for. Uh, Central City and Blackhawk off I-70. That section below Idaho Springs would be really good. Um, Good rainbows in there. Um, You see a good mix of wild browns in there too. All the way down in Golden. All the way up through Georgetown. The whole river, Clear Creek's got a ton of browns. Um, And sometimes you go find your way higher up on Clear Creek. You can find a few cutthroats up there. How does it compare to Bear Creek? Bear Creek and Clear Creek are similar. Um, The fish are going to be just a tad bigger in Clear Creek. Uh, Bear Creek's a much smaller river system, um, and but it's tremendously fun. And Bear Creek too, you have a lot of browns, a lot of small rainbows. Um, and if you fish Bear Creek, the higher up towards Evergreen you fish, you'll find better fish. You'll find really good fish right through downtown Evergreen. Really nice rainbows in there. Um, the public parks can be kind of busy on the weekends. Um, on Bear Creek like of the Bear and Coralina. Um but it's like if you have a family you want to go for a picnic you want know, to catch a few fish and especially if you have younger ones who you're a little nervous on taking into a dangerous river that's flowing really heavy, Bear Creek is a great option.
1: Let's talk about something that's coming up that's probably one of my favorite times to fly fish mostly because it's the way I'm most successful I suck otherwise but uh, <laughs> and that's That's the terrestrials coming out, the grasshoppers and the ants and the beetles, but especially the hopper-dropper-type presentations. Now, normally we get into July, we start seeing the dry weather, and we start seeing a lot of hoppers. What are you seeing out there, and do you think we're getting
0: close to that? I think we're going to be knocking on the door here in the next two, two, three weeks. Um, I'm with you, Terry. Terrestrial season is one of my favorites on the river. Um, it's fun throwing big dry flies and big hoppers, and you don't have to be precise with your cast or your presentation, and, you know, you want that fly to plop like a real grasshopper lands on the water. Um, It should be a really good season for it. Um, Those who have been outside will see, like, the hay fields next to these rivers right now are lush. They're so thick and everything's so green right now. We're going to have a great hopper season, and I think this year it's going to extend – all the way through August and all the way through September as well, just on how wet and how thick the grass is.
1: Do you, when you're fishing hopper droppers, when we get into that, and we'll have you back on, we'll talk about it more when it's going on, but when you're doing it, do you have some favorite hoppers? Do you try to really identify the hoppers, or, or is it, it is critical, and and what about the dropper? Do you look for what's hatching, or do you go with a the
0: generic? Yes, you. They, um, you know, on hopper fishing, go generic, go a pattern that for me, I want a pattern that's going to float really well. Um, sometimes on that dropper, you can tie a little heavier fly on that's going to sink quicker and a big old hopper pattern is going to float really high. And so more than anything, instead of like changing the pattern, I'll have a a hopper pattern. that I know floats well that I really like, but then I start tweaking on where the river we're fishing it. And, you know if you're a real grasshopper chances are you're probably not going to be falling in the middle of the river too often unless it's a windy day so it's more tactics of changing hitting right off the bank lines and hitting little structure and rocks you know right near the banks and near willows and um tactics like that but hopper droppers oh man it's such a solid way to fish
1: yeah i you know i have a three or four different hoppers in my box and I kind of go by where I'm fishing and the size of the fish which might not be right I'll throw I'll throw some smaller ones like in the little rivers that are coming out of the Rocky Mountain National Park but a lot of times those great big Chernobyl ants or something are what they'll it's amazing out of one little pool but then I'll go something easy with a bead on it or something like a copper john and it, and it seems to work just fine. I just don't change the dropper up a lot. Try to stay a little
0: bit generic. That, that is a great tactic to do. Um, there's times you could change that dropper if you're on the river and you see a great hatch happening. You know, that's where those fish will be a little bit more in tune to one insect that they're keying in on. But generally speaking, going with something you're confident in, like the copper john is a fly that's always going to catch a fish. You know, copper Johns, and they come in several different colors. The red one this time of year is really good. Um, They have one that's kind of a zebra color, it's black and silver. That's really good this time of year as well. Um, Hare's ears. Hare's ears a caddis representation. And so for us, in the summer months, we have so many caddis on the rivers, a hare's ear is always a good option. And and to your point, if you're going to use that as like a hopper dropper rig, make sure it's a little gold bead, a little tungsten or brass bead on that fly, And then you don't have to add any additional weight at all either. Do you
1: you change the length very often of the dropper? I mean, do you have a, are you trying to get it like it's an emerging uh, bug or do you try to get it down close to
0: bottom? Generally speaking, I try to get it down. Um, As I was mentioning just earlier, like I target a lot of shallow water doing this um, near the banks and not too far off the edges of the river. And so, most of my time, my dropper is about 18 to 20 inches below my dry fly. Um, There's times the flows are a lot heavier than what I've seen the last few years. And if I get to a river and, you know, that run that's normally about two feet deep, if that's now about three feet deep with the additional water, then I'm probably going to extend that to about two and a half feet deep on my dropper. Um, I try to leave, I'm with you, I try to leave that pretty consistent all day. Um, Well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, if I, you know, if I'm targeting shallow water, I know I'm going to keep it, you know, pretty close to my dry fly. If I'm hitting deeper water, I'm just going to extend it a little bit further away.
1: We are out of time, but tell people where they can find you
0: guys if they want to book a trip or want more information. Yeah, guys, call us up here at the shop. We're right here at Evergreen. We've been here for 35 years. Um, We're the Blue Quill Angler. You can call us with any questions you have on public access points on different rivers or flies to use. Um, our number here at the shop is 303-674-4700. Um, and real quick, Terry, just to mention it, we are still running our classes real heavy all summer. So for those of you who are interested in fly fishing, call us, look us up online at com. We run such a fantastic intro to fly fishing course, and um, it's a great way to get in the sport. All right.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. We'll talk to you again soon.
0: Hey, thank you, Terry. You have a great
1: Saturday. You bet. Chris Steinbeck. Just great people up there, folks. If you're looking to get into fly fishing, folks at Blue Quill, they're just legendary guides and great people and so great to work with. We'll take a quick time out, and we'll come back, Brad Peterson will join us, and we'll uh, talk more fishing on Terry Wixom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. are listening to Terry Wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and joining us from Brad Peterson outdoors is Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad.
2: Good morning, Terry. It's it's looking like a good morning, isn't it? It sure is. I, I heard you talking earlier about the uh, the crazy weather we've been having and just how wet it's been and and the forecast of some some nice stable weather. Sure. Sure is a a pleasant change of pace. Yeah, they're still threatening some storms today, but then it looks
1: like we get a few, two very dry days, hopefully, with very little chance of rain, and then some actually July-type heat, and there's some mixed storm chances in there, but low possibilities and scattered. So we may be able to
2: even do some evening fishing. I tell you what, that'd be good, because I know trying to get you out on those early morning bites just isn't easy anymore.
1: <laughs> I have become a banker's hour fisherman, but I'd get up early to go with you. Um,
2: what is going on out there? What are you seeing? I tell you what, uh, we've as as we've been talking, you know, all spring and early summer, the temperatures have kind of been real slow at progressing, but uh, the last week or so, the almost all the lakes have got into that lower to mid-70-degree range, which really sets up the summer patterns. So you're seeing a lot of the the traditional summer patterns happening along the north front range. Like uh, Boyd Lake, we talk about it quite often this time of year, but that white bass bite has just really turned on in the last week. They're boiling all over the lake, and if you've got an opportunity to get off of shore, whether that's a boat, a kayak, a paddle board, whatever it is, you're able to get into those boils right now at Boyd, and the numbers of fish are just phenomenal. And you, you can still catch some walleyes, you know, pulling bottom bouncers there for sure.
1: What about the trout at lakes like Boyd? Have they started now to go a little deeper,
2: maybe a little less accessible? They have. Um, the thermocline's pushing that 20 foot depth right now at Boyd, and those trout have moved down deeper. So if you're really wanting to target the trout, I'm going to say you need to get below 10 feet of, of water, get your lure between that 10- and 20-foot range. You still can catch some. The one spot in the lake that you can still get some fish up shallow, again, if you're able to get out on a boat, is they put some aerators on that south half about three years ago, And they're turned on now, so they bring some of that water from the bottom up. And those areas stay a little bit cooler. So if you get out early in the morning, oftentimes there's some really good trout, not quite right in that bubble line, but within about 20 feet of it either side, and usually quite a few white bass. So it's a good spot that you can get out there, do some casting, um, but you definitely need to be out there early because it's right in the middle of where everyone skis. So once the boat traffic gets going, it's really hard to get out there and fish. But if I was going to go out for boy, that's where I would target. Um, if you're looking for trout, um, on other lakes, I would target a little bit of our deeper lakes. So I would go up to horse tooth or Carter. Both of those are going to be a little bit cooler and still have a better opportunity at trout, especially some nicer trout. And I know that, uh, Carter's still producing some largemouth bass, and the walleyes are just starting to turn on. And at Horsetooth, the smallmouth have kind of started moving out of the coves along with the walleyes. So fishing just the first point inside the cove or the main lake points for the smallmouth and the walleyes, I would be looking for those schools to smelt and uh, trolling through those during the evening hours into the night for your best chance to get into walleyes. What are you seeing on the northeast
1: lakes? Now, there's a sportsman's caucus coming up. We're going to talk about it in the next segment. But one of those caucuses is the northeast, and there's some concern about the consistency of fishing there, isn't there?
2: There really is. um, You know, I have not talked to anyone that's done good at jumbo. The low water really hurt that. Everyone kind of knew that that was coming. Um, But Sterling just... Last year was a tough year at Sterling. Uh, This year has even been harder. They've got a tournament going on this weekend, and I talked to several teams that were out there pre-fishing. And and these are some of the better walleye anglers in the state, you know, and and they're getting three, four, five fishes all in a day of fishing. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what their results are. But um, Sterling's been fishing tough. If you want to go to any one of those I-76 lakes, Pruitt is the best one. Pruitt's at full capacity. It's got a lot of those fish that were stocked in 2020. Those fish are kind of 12 to maybe right at about 15 inches right now. But you can get out there and get on some real good action of 20 and 30 fish days. um, Pitching jigs along the mud lines. If the wind's blowing, if not, uh, trolling uh, crankbaits with planer boards kind of just spread out until you find the fish. The lake doesn't have a lot of structure, so you need to cover water to figure out where the fish are on that given day. What about Glendo? Glendo's still fishing really solid. Um, the lake is full. It's dropped about a foot and a half from its peak this year, but this is the fullest it's been in about, oh, probably three, four years now. And the fish are still relatively shallow. Um, I'll be up there... Heading up Monday and Tuesday to do some fishing and some guiding up there. But uh, people are still catching them in that 6 to 10-foot range on the points, uh, pitching jigs. There's a few fish back up in the brush. They're starting to move out of there a little bit to the weed beds. So if you can find the weeds that there's water above and pull something, whether it's uh, a crankbait above that uh, in Muddy and Airport, You know, those are two good areas this time of year. And then start looking at the flat out there at Sandy. Uh, That always has fish this time of year. And if you're more of someone who enjoys pulling bottom bouncers, maybe you're fishing with kids and you don't want to get snagged, either that Sandy beach area or pitch and slip bobbers on the point are going to produce good numbers of fish. And you have a legitimate chance at, at fish over 26 inches every day you're out there at Glendale.
1: Let's, let's circle back before we run out of time. We only got a couple minutes left, but the white bass at Boyd, to me that there's other lakes too, like the white bass can get really prolific down at John Martin. There's a few other lakes around the state, but when those white bass are boiling, when they, whether it's white bass or wipers at Boyd, it tends to be white bass, but when you're getting those boils, it can be some of the most exciting action consistent fishing, but a lot of people don't understand it. Let's talk tactics a little bit. You and I approach it a little differently, but the same way, but maybe different lures. Tell us how
2: you approach the white bass. Well, just approaching the white bass is a key that I think a lot of people make a mistake on. When you see a boil, you want to get over there as quick as possible, but you don't want to be running your motor in through that boil or it'll push them back down. So, either use your electric to get you over there and then shut it off and kind of coast that direction, or if it's a little bit of distance, you know, hit your big motor, but make sure that it's shut off and you're coming in as quiet as possible. That's the first mistake I see a lot of people make. But when I'm fishing there, right now they're feeding on really small shad. So I target smaller lures. We tried, you know, a three-inch twister tail, and it was getting bit a little bit. But uh, a a two-and-a-half-inch kind of uh, minnow-style bait, like a fluke or a power minnow, on a light jig head. Eight ounces, the heaviest you want to be throwing. And keep it up there in that water column was catching fish, but the best lure out there was a little uh, blue fox spinner that has a a feather, white feather tail. That was getting probably two or three-to-one bites versus everything else we're doing. Once the white bass get or the shad get a little bigger, One of my favorite ways to fish them is topwater, whether it's a small little prop bait or a popping bait, something like that. If you can get on those schools and use topwater, that's just fantastic. But it's going to be about another two, three weeks before those shad get big enough to try that.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the keys, and you and I both agree, that one of the keys is those fish are feeding up. So if something is too heavy and it sinks too quickly, you may get an occasional bite, but it sinks through before too many of the fish see it. A couple of things I like to use. I like I like with you the top water. Once they're started, the fish get a little bigger. But right now, I tend to, a lot of times, I'll throw like a a little original Rapala, a small one, or some kind of a small bait that doesn't hardly dive, and I'll just twitch it right out in the boil. And even though it's close to the surface, I'm getting a lot of bites on that. I really like that presentation, even this time of the year. And uh, you'll be surprised sometimes what else you'll catch. I caught the biggest walleye I ever caught at Pueblo on a surface boil, uh, throwing us a, a, a small minnow bait. So the important thing is not to let it get too deep. Uh, shad colors are important, but boy, if you can get into those. And by the way, folks, there's a video on the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom on Boyd, where we throw a uh, topwater baits for those white bass. And it's a, it's a fish on
2: every cast. We've got to wrap it up, Brad. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? They can check out. I've got a new website and they can go to bpo.fishing or they can uh, find me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors. All right, my friend, we'll talk again soon. Okay, thanks, Terry. That's Brad
1: Peterson. I was a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Parks and Wildlife are going to join us and go we'll over a few things happening uh, like the caucuses coming up and some of the use of our state wildlife areas. All that and more coming up on Terry Wix Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I wake up in the morning so sad and so alone. I wonder where you are, why then you are gone listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Of course, you're a teardrop in my eye from an EP by Wickstrom and Dobrith that you can find on all your popular streaming sites. Give us a listen. Tell us what you think. Speaking of music, our next guest from Parks and Wildlife has got a music side to his life, don't you, Mr. Travis Duncan?
3: I do, I I do, and I really enjoyed hearing hearing that intro song from, from your group, Terry. That was fantastic. Yeah, you guys sound great. Yeah, and
1: you've got some stuff that we'll get to listen to pretty soon. And as soon as it's out there, let me know. We'll give you a shout-out.
3: we Will do, Terry. Yeah, thank you.
1: All right, well, let's talk some outdoors since that's what people tuned in for. You and I could probably get talking music and we'd lose the crowd. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, got a few things coming up. One is the regional sports caucuses are coming up, and you're going to tell us about where and when. And tell us how I can find out when these are occurring if I had, didn't happen to hear it on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors.
3: Definitely. So, so the regional sports person caucuses are coming up here this coming week, and um, you know, for folks who don't know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, we really depend on the feedback um, from our state hunters and, and anglers to make the best decisions about the management of fish and wildlife and, and wildlife habitat in the state, and so. In order to discuss those ideas and make sure we're, we're getting those best ideas, we convene uh, a statewide sports person's round table and also these regional sports person's conference meetings that are coming up next week. And so if you are a hunter and angler interested in Colorado outdoors, this is a great meeting to attend either in person or, or most of these meetings also have a virtual option as well. And, and let us know your feedback uh, about what you're seeing you know, in, in your part of Colorado that you love. So on Monday, this is the southeast region. Um, sports person caucus. And they're, they're going to hear a new, they're going to get an agency update from the new Southeast region manager there, Frank McGee. And, and they'll also be talking about, um, terrestrial wildlife or aquatics. Um, they'll give an update on wolf reintroduction. Um, they're going to be talking about state wildlife area regulation updates. Um, and, and everyone will have a chance to ask questions and give their feedback. Um, the next day on the July 11th, that's, um, going to be the Southwest region's uh, sports person caucus. Um, they're going over things like big game season structure, uh, elk licenses on the Grand Mesa, um, over-the-counter archery elk licenses, and they're also going to be talking about uh, recreation and renewable energy impacts. Uh, the following day, July 12th, is the Northwest Region's Sports Fishing Caucus. They're going to be meeting at the Cameo Shooting and Education Complex, um, and they'll be talking about a variety of things. Uh, but but things like proposed fishery management changes on the Blue River and at Dillon Lake, and also be getting some terrestrial and aquatic updates as well. Um, and then the following day, July 13th. That's our Northeast region, Sports Person Caucus and that's at the Shields in Johnstown. So just wanted to give everyone a heads up that those meetings are coming next week. All those meetings, those agendas are up online on our website, on Photo Personal Life website. So um please check that out. Check out the agenda for your, your area of the state if you're interested in attending. And like I said, most of those meetings I think have a virtual option as well. Uh so, so check that out and, and attend virtually if you're not able to go in person.
1: Now well, a couple things I want to bring up. One is the um how soon are these posted on a website so I can go look? And is there a particular search word I put in?
3: Yeah. So I, you know, Google search is effective. If you put in CPW and sports person, uh, regional sports person caucus, it, it comes right up the, the page. Um, but it's under our hunting page pages on on the color parks and wildlife website. And then, um, you know, if you want to see just the, the press release about, about those different meetings, you can actually go, uh, to the bottom right of the main page and we have our press release area it's pretty easy to scroll through and see see the different releases that link you out to the, the regional agendas.
1: And, and then the last thing I wanted, the Northeast one is of extreme importance this year. There's been a difficulty in the management of the fisheries, not because there aren't qualified people doing a great job, but because of the water and weather fluctuations we get in the Northeast. And I know there's a number of sportsmen that are attending that meeting that are interested in seeing what can be done that we can maybe improve those fisheries. So that might be one. In the Northeast region you want to take some uh, extra, uh, uh, little pay a little extra attention to because there's some great resources out there that if we can improve those, that would be fantastic. Something else that's going on, and I know this has been changing over the last couple of years. And, you know, it started with COVID where so many people got outdoors and they tried to, um, and just went into activities that they hadn't done before in areas they hadn't gone before. And that created a lot of confusion with people who weren't typical outdoor uh, consumers about what state wildlife areas are for. And they started getting used for things they weren't intended for. And nobody wanted to curtail people going outside. But certain dollars and certain uses were put in place for those areas. Tell us a little bit more about that.
3: Definitely, Terry. So, so our state wildlife areas in in Colorado, we have uh, more than 350 of them um, leased or owned um, through Colorado Parks and Wildlife using hunter angler dollars. Um, And so, you're correct during the leading up to, and then especially during during the pandemic when we saw just lots more people getting outside. These areas really, we're seeing um, lots of unintended use. These areas are really intended to protect uh, critical wildlife habitat for the most part. And so, uh, you know, all the properties are different and have different um, things that are allowed on those properties. And so a lot of people were, were entering these areas and not really understanding what they were for or what, what kind of behavior was allowed. And so we took a, a hard look at the at, uh, state wildlife areas and how they're being used. Um, we took a multi-phased approach to dealing with the problem. In the first phase, we created the state wildlife area pass so that um, you know folks who were who were visiting these areas um, for their intended uses, but maybe didn't want to hunt or fish, but wanted to be able the wildlife view and wanted to still still enjoy these areas where where these activities were allowed. We created the state wildlife area pass, and and we have had people using that to to visit the areas. And then the second phase which we, we really just just are completing the regulations for a regulation update is, is to look at each of the state wildlife areas and say how is it being used? Um, is the wildlife still being protected, is the habitat still being protected here or has or what what's the situation um, you know, on the on the ground and um, how does it apply to the regulation in, in place and do we need to tighten up the regulations so people understand what's what's allowed things like having um, you, you know, people were having dogs off leash. people were camping or almost living full time in some of these state wildlife areas, leaving trash behind. And so, um, just, just lots of, lots of problems like that. that come along with having just a lot more people, um, in the outdoors. And so, um, we just passed updated regulations that really, um, uh, fell out and make it more standardized, uh, as to what's expected and allowed in each of these state wildlife areas. And so, um, those, you can check those out online now. um, if you go to the, if you go to our website, um, or I know a lot of folks check out each year the Cowder State Recreation Lands brochure, uh, and that update is really going to be your your best spot to get to have all the updates for that. So that's going to come out in early August. So so coming up, and you know in the first few days of August, it'll be up online, and I'll start to appear in all our area offices, and you can pick that up. And it's good for the whole year, and it's going to tell you. You know, if you're interested in going to state wildlife area, it'll it'll make sure you understand what, what that area is used for, what wildlife it's protecting and what's allowed at what time of the year, So you know, when you're going in, that you're, you're using it appropriately and not, and not harming cow outdoors. Well, and a lot of
1: them have pretty good signage that tells you, but there's so many of them, sometimes it's tough to keep up. But I think the key message is these wildlife areas were paid for with hunting and fishing dollars. And we want everybody to use them, whether you're a hunter or an angler or not. And like you said, wildlife viewing is becoming such a tremendous activity. We just don't want them overused or used for the wrong purposes so they can be uh, conservation-minded and protect wildlife and protect habitat. Travis, we're running out of time, but thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you online on your music site. All right, same to you, Terry. Thank you so much. You bet. Travis Duncan, great resource, uh, really a friend of the show. Comes on a lot. We love having him on. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, uh, the folks from Kirk's Fly Shop and Estes are going to join us, and we're going to talk some more fly fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Listening to Terry Wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. By the way, that song "Take It Easy" that we are entering, Eagles song. Because you know I'm into the Eagles a lot. That was actually written by Jackson Brown, and then the Eagles recorded it. A lot of people don't know that because he recorded it later, and they thought he was he was doing a cover of it. Hey, let's go to the phones. And we'll talk some more outdoors. We're getting too much music in here, but sometimes I get carried away. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Kirk's Fly Shop in Estes is Darren Christensen. Good morning, Darren.
4: Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today?
1: You know, I'm doing fantastic. It looks like the weather's going to change a little bit. We've still got some chances, some storms today, but then we're supposed to get some warm, dry weather, and I think the rivers are just ready for that.
4: Oh, yeah. Um, We've had... Our fair share of uh, rain up here—that's for sure.
1: Now you—you you guys fish the park, you fish the Colorado, you fish Lake uh, Grand Lake, and of course you fish the Big Thompson a lot. The Big Thompson is dam controlled, so I would assume it's been fishing pretty good. Let's start there. What's been going on on the Big T? Yeah,
4: so the Big Thompson, as you just pointed out, um, has a dam above it, so the flows there have been pretty constant at like 125 for a little over two weeks now and even before that we're you know not really much higher than 250 or so so they've been fishing great for quite a while um, we're getting good pmd hatches and caddis and yellow sallies you know starting you well, know, here in about a half hour usually about 10 30 or so they start coming off so yeah fishing's been real good I love hatches
1: that come off about 10.30 in the morning.
4: <laughs> yeah. You don't have to get up early
1: for them. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, another thing about the Big Thompson, there's a lot of public access. Um, you guys guide on that. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But uh, you can find places to fish on the Big Thompson. There are a lot of public pull-offs and access. And then there's also private water that's available through both resorts. And you guys guiding, you get on some of that. But it offers a lot of opportunity. Um, Are you seeing a mix of rainbows and browns?
4: Yeah, um, pretty, you know, I mean, depending on the section you're fishing, it's, you know, about 50-50 as far as the population in the canyon. Um, You know, occasionally even a brook trout or a cutthroat finds its way down there. But, yeah, for the most part, um, brook brown trout and rainbow trout. I want to talk
1: about the park now. It's always been one of my favorites. In fact, Kirk, uh, the owner of Kirk's Fly Shop, Kirk Bean, and I have done a number of trips into the park. We've walked into the park, we've driven into the park, we've done horseback trips into the park. They're all on my YouTube channel, by the way, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And and I've even done a few on my own I just love the park. Uh, It's, to me, the essence of fly fishing. And I used to tell people, you know, the park, you're not always catching big fish, but what a setting, and it's just the essence. But you get up to some of those alpine lakes, and you can make a liar out of me, as Kirk showed me. There's some pretty good fishing. Overall, is the park starting to open up? I know it had a lot of snow. Where are we at there?
4: Yeah, no, it actually had. The last couple weeks, you know, the warm weather we've had um, has melted, you know, a fair amount of stuff. Like today's flow in Moraine Park, for instance, is 150. So that's, you know, that's a beautiful summer level of water that we'd like to see, you know. And we're not seeing a ton of dry fly action up there yet, but we're starting to see some, you know, little bluing olives coming off and a few PMDs. But in the next week or so, that is going to greatly increase. Um, But, yeah, so the... You know, lower elevation rivers are fishing good now, finally. Um, almost every lake that I know of is at least partially thawed out, if not completely. The only ones that are kind of still have a little bit of ice, I heard Crystal, which is very high, and Arrowhead both still have some ice. Not a ton, but a little bit. You know, we are we were
1: talking earlier in the show that we because of the undergrowth, um, with, with the water we've had, we're hoping for a great hopper-dropper season. But I'll tell you what, a hopper, a Chernobyl ant, we get into the warmer weather up in the park, and some of the pocket water and, and even some of just the flows, What a you can get some explosive strikes from those little cutthroats from brook trout on the uh,
4: fly you wouldn't believe the size. Oh, yeah. They, they'll come and gobble them up real quick. And we are already seeing like I I fished the upper Big Thompson um, a couple of days ago with my clients, and we are already seeing some hoppers out. So you know that it, it's already starting.
1: And that that'll go right through into well into August, I believe, even beyond sometimes. Oh, yeah, all the way into September. Yeah. And, you know, just it's the park is such a beautiful place to fish. Um, last place I want to talk to you about, how about the Colorado River? I know you guys do some trips. Well, that and Grand Lake. What's going on? In your, you have a shop on the other side of the hill. What's going on there?
4: Yeah, so we're running a lot of trips on Grand Lake. It's been fishing great for lake trout and, you know, obviously browns, and they get some kokanee out of there. They're using, you know, flashers with spin and glow trailers deep and getting those fish that are living down there near the hump um as far as the colorado goes as you probably already know the flows have come down tremendously Uh, i looked this morning it was 2600 which a week ago it was over (laughs) 5000 so that's a huge improvement and the fishing is improving you know with the water coming down some
1: so it's getting to the point where we're very driftable. Are you guys doing trips down the Colorado now? Oh
4: yeah, yeah, we have been, and and yeah, we're they're really starting to book up a lot um, there. You know, you can still pull streamers and nymph rigs, but you know, again, what we were just talking with about hoppers. You know, the hopper hatch is already starting over there.
1: Um, You know, when you talk about, you know, the Colorado River and some of those places and and drift places, or even the park or the Big Thompson, you guys guide on all of those in Grand Lake. How far in advance do I have to get a hold of you guys to book a trip? I know you cater... To a lot of the tourist crowds and you also cater to educating people on fishing so do you have to book quite a bit out or you you've got a pretty good stable of guides
4: yeah we have quite a few guides so usually just you know a couple days we can get you out um obviously we're coming up to the busy time of year so there will be days that get booked up but you know usually you give us a call today we can get you out tomorrow or tomorrow afternoon or you know the next day something like that
1: why don't you tell people where the shop is located, and then we'll talk a little bit about how, how they find you online and stuff.
4: Sure. So um, the talk the shop that I'm speaking to you from, we're at 230 East Elkhorn in downtown Estes Park. And then we also have a shop in Grand Lake that's on Grand Avenue as you're coming into town. Um, and our phone number is 970-577-0790 and... Our website is kirksflyshop.com. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I've
1: done so many things with you guys. You're just quality people with good guides. You have great waters you guide on. And, and uh, by the way, if you're not a fly angler, folks, you guys still guide just trips into the park, and you don't need to get your own entry then, right?
4: Yeah, so, yeah, we do you know guided hikes as well and llama hikes. And, yeah, so you don't need a reservation if you're going on a trip with us, whether it's fishing or hiking.
1: All right, my friend, it sounds great. I think things are finally popping. The weather's going to get stable, and we're all going to get outside and have some fun. Thanks, Darren.
4: You bet. Good talking to you, Terry. You bet.
1: Tell you what, go to uh, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on uh, YouTube and check some of the fishing trips I did with the folks from Kirk's Fly Shop. They're just amazing people amazing trips and just so much fun to be with and it's a great place getting up in the park now for the rest of the summer is going to be one of the best experiences outdoor experiences of your life we're going to take a time out when we come back mr nate zalinski is going to join us and we're going to do some extended time with him because we want to talk both fishing and hunting in uh an extreme excess with him and getting him to talk is never an issue with all that, I'm Terry Wixom outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.